0: This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast. With the diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today, we believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Alex Nixon, a very warm welcome to the Women Speak Cyber podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show. You've had such an inspiring public speaking journey, going from someone who who wasn't perhaps confident to co-hosting your own radio show and saying yes to last minute speaker requests. So there's, there's so much to unpack there. Before we do that, for people who maybe don't know you, could you share a little bit about you and I guess your journey into cybersecurity and to where you are today, if that's okay?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you both so much for for having me on the podcast. It's such a pleasure to be asked and of course, to to get a chance to to chat with you both officially on the record about (laughs) cybersecurity. I guess the way that I got into security is, is slightly unusual, although I know that doing something slightly unusual is becoming more common now, which is great. The way I sort of started in security was because I love puzzles. I love anything that's confusing, that needs to be solved, and is a bit of a head scratcher. And that kind of led me to doing some research about cryptography. And then I realized that cryptography was, you know, forms a part of cybersecurity. And then I realized that cybersecurity was a career. And not only that, but a career that I would be genuinely quite interested in. So, I was working for a big company at the time, um, and I wasn't very happy in my role there. And so, I had a chat with one of the women in HR who realized that, you know, I wasn't in the role that was right for me. And she said to me, Look, if you want to find a role in this company that you think would make you happy, I will absolutely back you because I don't want to lose you. And I think that at a time when I wasn't feeling very confident, that was such an inspiring thing to have happen to me. I had a look and Fortuitously, they had a role open in the information security team and they were saying no experience necessary. They just wanted the right person. The job had just closed, but she contacted the team on my behalf and it transpired that they just hadn't found the right person yet for the job. And I think it's probably the best job interview I've ever had. We went and met in our onsite cafe and I walked away and I thought, these are just my kind of people you know, we just clicked all of a sudden. I was like, this, this is what I was supposed to do. And then maybe six weeks later, I joined the team and I haven't looked back since.
0: That's a fascinating story. And, and so wonderful to have someone who was wanting to find you the right role in the organization and recognized your talent. And yeah, that, that's absolutely wonderful to hear. Was that in London, Alex,
1: originally? Well, it was just outside of London. I worked for a company that was based just outside of London in a very small town that chances are, well, V, you might have heard of it, but most people wouldn't have. But yep, so I was working there. So I was commuting out of London every day. It was the best part of a two-hour commute each way every day. And it was a long commute. Yep. But it gave me the chance whenever I started working in security to do a lot of research because I had all this time on the train. And so I bought CISP for Dummies. I bought And I sat on the train and read it. And that's how, alongside the job, I I learned on the job. I learned, you know, stuff at work. And then I would look at this book and sort of try and figure it out, like, in theory, as I sat on the train on the way home. And that's really how I kind of upskilled myself in security. I know Louise has
2: worked with you in the past, so she's got a little bit of this background, but you're now here in Australia. How did that move happen across here into our foreign waters?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm going to say I reckon by the time that people are hearing this, it'll have been three years since I arrived in Australia. I came straight from the UK. I married an Australian and made sense to, to come over here just to see what things were like really enjoyed it, you know, got really enjoyed meeting people, really enjoyed the industry. I think the industry here is fantastic. And it just made sense to to stay for me from a career perspective. And so, yeah, three years here in the industry and, and really loving it. I think it's got an incredible number of talented people. And do you find industry wise
2: and sort of the programs that we have here, like Project Friedman and AWSN, are there similar programs to that over in the UK?
1: I would say that I don't feel like I took advantage of programs in the UK. I'm not the right person to to say that. But I think the reason that I wasn't taking advantage of them is because I do suffer from and one of the reasons I applied to Project Friedman was this very reason I suffer from imposter syndrome. So I felt Mm. almost like I I didn't belong in those places and I didn't deserve to take a space. So I never really put myself forward for things. And that's one of the reasons that Project Friedman was so great for me is because it made me realize that I did have something to say and, and people wanted to hear it. Absolutely.
0: So Alex, could you take us back to what led you to apply for Project Friedman when we first met you a couple of years ago?
1: Yeah. So I was on a client site and I think it was a Friday afternoon and I was just having a look at the the AWSN LinkedIn page on my lunchtime. And whenever I saw the Project Friedman post that I think Jackie put up, I was like, oh, wow, this looks so good. And this looks like just the right kind of thing that I need because one of my big problems is I am such a perfectionist and I'm very, very critical of myself. And as a result, my approach to public speaking was always that I had to rehearse everything and get every single word right and almost recite it by rote. And I realized that that wasn't really something that I could keep doing because you know the older we get, the the more we work in our careers, we start to build up all this information in our heads. And I didn't have the ability to memorize, you know, a half hour presentation. So I had to find another way around doing public speaking. And I was like, I I just have to try and be part of this. I never thought I'd get picked. And whenever I found out that I was, I was just about jumping for joy.
0: We're so glad that you applied and that you were part of that first cohort. Um, You have continued to contribute your voice to that cohort, but also to the industry since then, which is absolutely fantastic. But maybe you could take us back to any of your earlier public speaking experiences and sort of maybe the first one that you ever had and, and share a little bit about how that went, how you felt afterwards and, you know, whether it had an impact on you in terms of your confidence in public speaking.
1: So I think that there's a couple of things that spring to mind. One of them was as part of my undergraduate degree, I studied Spanish, which is a language that I speak because I lived in Spain for a number of years. Whenever I went back to Spain, to Barcelona, to spend a year abroad at university there, I had to do quite a lot of public speaking in Spanish. Public speaking in your second language, even whenever you're you know, very comfortable speaking it, is far more nerve wracking than speaking it in your first language, especially as, a, as I would be presenting, you know, sometimes to rooms full. Of Spanish students, and I'd started to get very self-conscious in those presentations of how my my grammar was, of how clear I sounded, even things like my accent. And you know, even now, well, in English, I also have a an accent or a particular accent, and so I, I am conscious of that as well. But I was particularly conscious of making sure my accent was, was spot on when I was speaking Spanish as well, and I think that that combined with my perfectionism just sort of conspired into be a bit of a, a perfect storm. And I would get, you know, very, very anxious before I was presenting to the point where, you know, I could the paper would shake and my hands would shake, and I could hear it in my voice, and I just hated coming across as someone who wasn't in control. And then that would kind of, you know, knock my confidence again. So I was in a bit of a, a spiral there of, you know, not really fully feeling present in the moment and feeling like I could do my best.
0: I'm just amazed, by the way, can I just say, presenting in a second language like that, that's that's just incredible. And, I, and I'm sure many people who migrate, emigrate around the world have that challenge to overcome, you know, with, with presenting professionally in that second language. I I'm, can't imagine the amount of courage that takes to, to do that. I, I know I couldn't even come close um, <laughs> to doing something <laughs> like that. So I just think that's an incredible achievement. And to anyone out there who's speaking in a second language, yeah, I have so much respect. But after that, when you moved into the cybersecurity role, did you have to present in that role and how did that go for you?
1: Whenever I was in that role, I didn't really get much experience of, of public speaking. It was predominantly a, a behind the screens role. I did do a little bit of public speaking in, um, in our IT department because I ran the company's security awareness training. So that was a global company, so around the world. And so I do a little bit of speaking. For that, But I wasn't doing face-to-face training the way that I do today. And so I did a bit there. And again, same reaction, very nervous in advance, you know, handshaking, paper shaking, could feel it in my voice. And again, just feeling like I couldn't quite get control of my emotions leading up to it because I wanted to succeed. And I know that that's what was at the root of it. It was just that desire to be perfect. And yeah, Project Friedman's made me realize that it doesn't have to be perfect because I'm the only person who knows what the standard of perfect is for my presenting.
2: Yeah, that's gold. What do you think the biggest thing that you learned from Project Friedman was in participating?
1: Okay, I'm going to say two things, actually, because one of them was probably one of the nicest things, especially as someone who, you know, I hadn't been in the country for very long whenever Project Friedman started and it was having a group of women around me who all worked in the same industry who all understand the challenges that are unique to not being a man in the industry having that group of women there who who really supported each other through it was just one of the nicest things for me especially you know being new to the country and having that group of women there even now you know staying in touch with them all is fantastic but the other thing that i think that emily helped me with was that idea that my definition of what is perfect for a presentation or a, you know, a speech or whatever it might be is not the same as what the audience sees. The audience doesn't see the speech that you've written out on a piece of paper if you choose to memorize it. They're just hearing the messages you're delivering. And so as long as you're delivering your messages in that clear way, getting your points across to the audience, they don't really care how you get there. They just care that you've delivered it in language that resonates with them. And I think that was a really big lesson for someone who's a perfectionist like me.
2: And what about standing on the stage here in Australia at a security conference for the first time? I know we were all in the audience, but how were you? Because you seemed
1: pretty composed, I have to say. Do you know, people normally tell me I don't have a good poker face, but now you're making me think I do.
2: (laughs) I think it's a British thing because Louise is very good at it too.
1: (laughs) Um, I would say I was still nervous. I don't think the nerves will ever go away. Even though I was nervous, I was much more able to feel composed and, and get a grasp on that and channel it in a positive way. So I didn't have the, you know, sort of like starting to sort talk into myself and into my chest. You know, I could kind of like keep that, that positive stance that allowed my voice to project. I wasn't so worried about the, oh God, and if I miss one word, then I'll just trip myself up because I've learned it by rote. I didn't feel like that for a change. I felt much more in control than I had done before in spite of the fact that I was still just... Just as nervous. Yeah, like I say, I don't think the nerves are ever going anywhere. It's just easier to handle them.
0: So, Alex, tell us about where you are today, you know, that, that was a couple of years ago now that we did that first round of Project Freedom. So I think we would have just been rolling into the ASA conference. In fact, we'd have just done it two years ago. Yeah. Um, so, so what happened after that? And how did you come to be co-presenting a radio show live <laughs> every Friday? Like, honestly, I have listened to you on that show. I've tuned in. You are incredible. You do not come across as somebody who's ever struggled with public speaking, but I'd love to hear about what's happened in the last two years and what some of the experiences have been like.
1: Well, it's been an unusual two years for everyone. And for me, it's been no different. There's a big speaking element to my job because, you know, there's there's security awareness and, you know, that's speaking to people at all different levels of an organization, making sure that they understand your message. So again, about, it's all about conveying what you're we're trying to get across to people in language that resonates with them and then all the way through to presenting to boards in my or sort of VC so work that I do and that means again you know picking the language that's appropriate understanding what they want to hear what they want to see in that really short space of time as it quite often is so there's a lot of speaking and I get to put into practice a lot of the lessons that I learned from Project Friedman when I do that. So, again, coming back to it doesn't matter that I've not got a script. If I know my content, then I can talk to it. And being okay, and and Louise, you and I actually had a conversation about this where I said before a presentation to, to a board when we were working together, I said, I'm worried that what if they asked me a question that I can't answer? And you said to me, It's okay not to know the answer to everything. You can give them an answer to the best of your knowledge, but always say, I need to come back to you on the exact answer on that because, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't exactly related to the scope of work that we were presenting. And that really helped me. And that's a tool that I that I have used now several times over because I realized that I don't need to have everything crammed into my head all at once just for one meeting. I think that leads to a bit of burnout. So that's been really, really helpful and then in terms of the radio show so during covid i moved to the country which was a surprising move for me the tree change but it's been a really enjoyable move i have to say it's been almost a year now that we we've been living here in our small country town in victoria and you know i i'm a big community person i'm a big believer in you know contributing to your community where you can in whatever way that you can and so whenever I came here, I heard on the local radio an advert saying that they were looking for radio presenters. And I thought, well, isn't this a great opportunity to do some public speaking, to do something for the community? And also, I co-present it with my husband. A nice chance to spend a bit of time together, you know, on a, on a Friday afternoon, listening to some really good music, but a quality time after a hectic week. And so over one of the, I think, the lockdown early in 2021, we did some training so we had to go in and do a whole bunch of training in the studio because there's the console and the screens and everything like that and you have to kind of get your head around the system and then we started being mentored on a Monday morning the Monday morning breakfast show and graduated into our own show on the Friday night drive time slot and it's been it's been great uh, the weird thing is on the radio your audience isn't there in front of you so you have no idea of their you know you don't get the non verbal cues that you get Whenever you're presenting in front of people and you can see their faces, you just have to assume that they understand your message. And especially, again, coming back to the fact that I have an accent that's not typical for this area. So making sure that I speak in a way that people can understand me very clearly. Some of my references might not be the references that other people here make. For instance, uh, I call a vacuum cleaner a hoover. (laughs) and <laughs> yes me too yep. <laughs> and i had uh sarah bolton who, who we've both worked with she told me once in a presentation that i referred to hoover and that she was laughing because she's got british family so she knows what i meant and she knows that i was doing it for that reason uh, but everyone else was looking at me slightly oddly so <laughs> it's just being mindful of that i think i got Slip, slap, slop, or slip, slop, slap. I got that round the wrong way about sun safety recently. And Ian had to tell me that I got that wrong. But I really enjoy it. And I find it a really good way to keep myself sharp for my public speaking. So I'll be really mindful of my ums and ahs and making sure that I'm being really crisp with my diction. So it's a really good way to to keep myself sharp.
0: So Alex, I've got so many questions. Do you think you would have applied to do the radio show before you did Project Friedman? Like, w- would, would you have even thought about doing something like that?
1: Absolutely not. And in fact, because of Project Friedman, I was just like, I need to do this, not just for me, but also for my other half. I said to him, the practice that I got from Project Friedman, the confidence that gave me, he has to do public speaking in his job too. I said, you might find that the radio show gives you that same practice and he was like, you're spot on. So it's just like Project Friedman is giving him that confidence. And for me, it's just building on the confidence that it gave me. So I absolutely wouldn't have even considered thinking that I had something to say that people wanted to hear unless it had been for Project Friedman.
0: That's so good to hear. Do you think now, because what I'm hearing is you're, talk, you're talking a lot about your audience, when you're talking about your public speaking experiences since you did Project Friedman, do you feel like, I guess, the internalization of the public speaking, you know, the fear part of it and the focus on perfection has maybe shifted more to kind of giving to the audience and and giving them what they need? Do Do you feel like there's been a shift there?
1: Yes. And that was something that when we were doing Project Friedman that Emily said, she said, it's all about the audience. And that has really helped me to stop, like you say, stop internalizing things and start thinking about what do they want to hear? What are they getting out of this? What's the purpose of this for them? Because she always said, and it's, and it's such excellent advice for public speaking at the end of it all those people are walking out of, of the room or wherever it is that you've been speaking to them and they're remembering messages that you've given them. So you mm. have to be very, very clear on what those messages are and how you deliver them.
2: That's even what we think about when we do this podcast. You know, what are people going to walk away from this podcast learning? And I think we've had such incredible women who've all had different journeys in this industry. And all of them have taken that sort of first step to putting themselves out there and and all in such incredibly different ways. Louisa told me originally that you were doing radio. I was like, Alex is doing radio. And I'm just blown away. She mentioned to me that uh, she's been listening and I'm not sure if I can listen in from Queensland, but I'm going to get the details to see if I can. So tell me, what's the theme of your radio show?
1: So the show's called Road Trip Records. So we get a lot of through traffic in our listening area. So people coming up from Melbourne on a on a Friday night to come either to, to our town or the surrounding area. So perfect setting for road trip records. So we have a mixture of requests, music that we pick for, you know, your ultimate road trip songs. We have a bit of a partiality to, I'd say, 70s rock I personally love a bit of British sort of 80s new wave. They don't have a lot of that on the system. I'm currently attempting to rectify that. So that's coming. People in this area are going to get a lot more British music very soon. So apart from that, we haven't had a chance to do it yet because of the, the COVID density limits. But one of the purposes of the show is that we have a lot of really great local producers here. So people who make wine, people who make, you know, we have a friend who's a baker, you know, people who own restaurants and cafes and have really interesting stories. And so one of the things we want to do is to interview them and talk to them about their ultimate top five road trip records. So now that restrictions have changed, I think we're going to be able pretty much, you know, as of next week, be able to start bringing people in and interviewing them. So I'm really, really excited about that. I think that that'll give it a, a real extra flavor. And that's that's just what we want to do. You know, we want to tell people's stories.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Have you had a chance to sort of slide any Cyber 101 uplift to your audience while you've been uh, presenting?
1: I have. And sometimes I take off. I'll see people posting on local community groups on social media around scam text messages. That was the big one. Or whenever I check into with a QR code, is that business going to be able to sell my data? And I'll talk about those things whenever something like that pops up. I don't want people to feel like I'm ramming it down their throats. But at the same time, I have a platform and I have knowledge that a lot of people in this area don't have. So why not share that?
2: I know the regional areas is definitely one in my both my current roles and my previous role that we really struggled to get that cyber knowledge out there. So you've just got this incredible platform by sheer coincidence that you can do it. So that's fantastic.
1: Yep, yep, it is. It's amazing. Yeah,
0: I love how you're using your voice and that platform you have to give back to the community. That's such an awesome thing to do. I want to hear about what it's like to do live mm. radio Every week. I mean, Alex, you know, I've, I did live TV once. Yeah. That's it. Just once. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still, I'm still recovering. You're doing this every week. How is that? What are some of the challenges and, you know, are some of the benefits? Like, what do you enjoy about the fact that it's life?
1: I always get that little tingle of excitement right at the start. I would say it's, um, yep. You just, the moment that you take over control, because, you know, you're not necessarily in control. You may be dialing in from another studio because we have like, I think five different studios in the area sometimes. So typically speaking, we're actually quite lucky it's someone who's in the same studio as us who we come straight after, but not always because you know, people have different schedules. And so. Whenever you have that, there's just the moment there whenever either you're dialing in or you're dialing out where you just wait to hear that they've come on. And that's always a little bit nerve wracking because, mm. you know, you're relying on technology and technology in the country, which isn't always you know going to run smooth. And we have had some technical glitches. We had one where we were running the breakfast show in the morning when we were being mentored and the computer basically just crashed right at the start of the show. Oh no. I was in charge and I just saw, you know, totally frozen screen. And I was just like, what do I do? And I was like, we've got to talk because we have nothing else to do. No one's expecting us to talk. So I've got two other people in the studio they're just sort of looking at me expectantly. And I was like, right, let's just get into some chat. So we actually ended up having a much longer conversation than we needed to for the problem to sort itself because we ended up having this really interesting discussion and just having a a bit of a good time. So sometimes, you know, you have to wing it and it turns out really well. Yeah. Some of the other challenges are, so we dial into the community radio networks, national news on the hour. And so you have, you've got your headphones on and in one ear, you've got what you've got on. And in the other ear, you've got what's on there on cue so that you can then flick it through to that. And you've got to time it just perfectly. So sometimes there's a bit of maths to work out if your song will finish in the right time. Often we'll talk. So a lot of presenters will just play a bit of music, like, you know, instrumental between the two, but we like to do a sharp show. So we like to talk right up to it or have a song play right up to it. So you'll have the two of us having a conversation, but the person on deck is sat there with the two headphones in and it doesn't always come on it right at the same time. So you'll be sat there and then you'll be like, one, two, three, and go. And the other person wraps up the conversation. So there's quite a lot going on there to just get it right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's A lesson in multitasking, I think it would be safe to say.
2: I feel like you wouldn't have any time to be nervous at all because you're just
1: constantly thinking. (laughs) You are less so when there's two of us, but I've had to do it by myself before. and And I'm doing it myself this week, actually. And whenever you're in the studio by yourself, the time just flies. Because Mm. there's all these different little things you've got to do. You have like different weather reports coming in. You have to do like the, we call them sponsor blogs, the the adverts. You've got to record all that. You've got to record every song you play because like every radio station in Australia, we have to play a minimum of 25% Australian content. So you've got to make sure you're doing that. You've got to make sure you're recording that. So there's a lot of sort of documentation going on. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes on a radio show. And it's funny because now we'll listen into radio and we'll hear little sort of, you know, like something will happen and we'll be like, oh, they didn't do this or, oh, they did that a bit too early. <laughs> listen to it with a really critical ear because you know what you're listening for. Yeah. And what incredible
0: skills you're gaining here, because as well as all of that knowledge of, you know, how to run a radio show, I would imagine... Now, if you had a bit of a tech fail on a webinar, it's not gonna faze you. Like, do you feel do you feel like you can handle <laughs> those things better now?
1: I had one recently. I was doing some training for a client, one that Louisa that you and I briefly worked on together, and it was the last of a set of three webinars. And the last two, they'd run perfectly smoothly, everything was good. My Microsoft Teams wouldn't work in the run up to it. Before that, the previous two, I'd been on five minutes before, ready to go, had, you know, everyone waiting in the waiting room, ready to admit them, slides up, screen shared, ready to go. This one, I sort of came barreling in two minutes to go. I didn't feel quite as centered as I normally would, but I was like, right, I've just got to power through this. It wasn't until maybe five minutes in that my colleague who was on it as well sent me a message saying, you're not sharing your screen. (gasps) and then i was like ah but i'd just been doing my introduction and so i sort of i saw that and i just kind of wrapped it up like sort of like a. and i'm gonna start sharing my screen now and then we're gonna talk about it and she said to me i was like her afterwards i just feel so stupid i can't believe i did that and she was like actually it just sounded like it was intentional so (gasps) if it hadn't been for having to adapt to the weird and wacky world of live radio I wouldn't have been able to take that in my stride the way that I did there. And it just, it didn't phase me anywhere near like it would have done, give it six, six nine months ago.
0: I think that shows that muscle memory is important in this public speaking skill. You know, we talk a lot on the podcast about this being a life skill. It's important for your career. And from your story, it's become really Crystal clear to me how important it is to keep doing it and also to stretch yourself and try different mediums and not be afraid of live radio. You know, you've been incredibly courageous to take that on and you've clearly thrived as a result in being able to kind of handle those issues and being being able to kind of ad lib and fill in and all of those things that make those great presenters on stage as well because they're the people that stuff goes wrong and they they can turn it around uh, and they're always in control and so yeah it it's just it just demonstrates how important it is to just keep on practicing getting that muscle memory and yeah it's such an inspiring story you have Alex The other day, there was an opportunity for a last minute speaker slot at a quite high profile cybersecurity conference in Asia. And in fact, LP and I talked about this on the last podcast, the fact that we were so happy when we put that out there to the first Project Friedman cohort, of which you're a part of, in the message group. And you were first in, you jumped at the chance. A couple of other people came in after, but but you, you were just like, yep, I'll do it.
2: We were like, I hope someone applies. Like we really need somebody (laughs) to fill the spot where we're thinking, I wonder if this person will do it. And you were just like in there.
0: We were blown away. (laughs) So talk talk us through that. Like how did you get to that point where you're just like, I'm just going to say yes, I can do this.
1: I feel like I'd just taken the brave pills that day. (laughs) I, i do think i think that you're right that having the muscle memory from the radio means that i do have the the confidence now to say you know what actually like i can take something on quite quickly and in fact the day that i did that panel so i thought to myself i need to be prepared for this and i got quite a bit, quite stressed because I had a really busy weekend, didn't have time to prepare for over the weekend. So it kind of got to the date and I was like, I'll spend the morning just, you know, getting ready, sort of getting my thoughts together. And in fact, that morning, I had a really busy morning, a lot of stuff happened. And so I came through to the actual presentation and I was like, I'm not that well prepared for this. And I felt a little bit nervous from that. But then I got into it and I realized, actually, I don't need to be prepared because this is a subject I know and I have a genuine interest in. And that's whenever I realized I don't need to do, you know, my normal tendency is to do all this research on something and feel like I'm really extra prepared. Because I didn't have that opportunity, I just had to speak, you know, off the off the cuff. I actually think that I probably came across more natural and and said stuff that was, you know, no different to what I would have said had I prepared. It just probably came across much more natural because it mm. was what I, I truly thought. So it all ended up working out for me really quite well. And, and I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Amazing.
2: I honestly think the radio experience and that kind of going into a phase now where you're going to start interviewing, that makes you a perfect candidate to do kind of panel type sessions because you're quite practiced at being able to answer questions quite, as I say, less waffly than I always say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually the best training that you could have for panels, to be honest.
1: You're spot on. I absolutely mm-hmm. think so. That ability to re- just respond to people. And especially whenever you have people who are joining you who are you know, really engaging, really interesting. And you know there was some there was a couple of people on there who were just really interesting. and one of them Cecily Rawlinson, she and I ended up catching up afterwards because some of the stuff she spoke about, she spoke about a model that she was developing that showed the return on investment in security awareness activities. and it was so interesting. I was like, I need to learn more about this. So it was you know a, a great discussion to be part of, and i'm I'm really grateful that you thought of thought of me and thought of the wider Project Freeman Core.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever, whenever anyone asks us and that's an open invitation, do you know some great speakers in cybersecurity? We're like, yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) We absolutely do. So yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to say yes and that you had a positive experience. That's really great to hear. And what about like, if you were to summarize your favorite genre of public speaking now, given that you've had a broad experience, what do you like to do the most?
1: Oh, that's such a hard question because there's different days when I'd answer different things. It's been a while since I've just got up and spoken to people face to face. And I'm itching to get back out there and to be able to do that. So I think that, you know, looking towards next year, I'd like to be doing some some face-to-face speaking, be that be that panels or be that presenting myself. I'm just looking forward to to getting back out there and, and being able to read those non-verbal cues from an audience.
2: I know that our current cohort of women didn't have the same experience as our 2019 group with basically every in-person event being cancelled this year. And we're really hoping that they can have that experience because there's nothing better than standing up on a stage with some friendly faces in the audience and just nailing that presentation for the first time. So we're really working hard and, and crossing everything that we can find them all a really great opportunity. And more than anything, we just want to be back out there watching them all too and hearing some of their incredible presentations because the topics this year, they've just blown us away. Just incredibly diverse and very smart group of women. So,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm doing mentoring for it. I've been mentoring Vanessa and she is absolutely fantastic. She has such an interesting career story and so much enthusiasm. And actually talking to her, I actually feel like she's mentoring me because she gives me (laughs) so much passion and so much enthusiasm that I just I go away from our conversations invigorated. It's actually been lovely. I think there's about three or so of our original cohort that
2: are mentoring some of this year's participants and what better people to be mentors who are, you know, in this industry, but also understand exactly what they're going through and what they're, what they're going to experience. We can certainly tell them, but we haven't actually participated in Project Foodman ourselves. So we're so grateful to you guys for doing that for us. So yeah,
0: it makes such a big difference. So what's what's next for yes. Alice? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Let's what, talk future. What else is there to do? <laughs> the goals you want to kick?
1: <laughs> uh, do you know what? So I've done, I'm not going to say a lot of focus. I've done a bit of focus on my public speaking. But one of my true passions in life is writing. I genuinely love mm. writing. So much so that, well, one day in the future, I'd love to write a book. Not about security. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fiction. But I I would love to write a book, never say never, but I've got an idea that's definitely fiction. And I feel like I'd really like to focus on some more of my professional writing. and um, mm. So, you know, actually related to security, including a bit more of the, the public speaking as well. But again, you know, thinking back to focusing on my community is so important to me. And my community is not just the community I live in. It also is, you know, the security community and particularly the community of women we have and doing my bit in that community. I think there's so much to do and hopefully, you know, an area that I can find myself in and, and give back to because, you know, whenever you experience something as wonderful as Project Friedman, it really sets you up in a position where it's, it's right when you can to give back. So that's something that I'd really like to do in the next year.
0: I'm excited to hear you're going to write a book. And we we were talking on the last episode with Jackie Lustow about the fact that getting your voice out there doesn't always have to be about public speaking. There's other mediums um, where you can share your ideas and your stories. And I I know you recently wrote an article that was published in the Women in Security magazine that sourced great publishers. Um, So yeah, you wrote a wonderful article in there that I had the great pleasure of reading. I look forward to to reading more of your articles and, and your book. And I think you've got a few books in you, Alex. I, I have a feeling you do because you have such an interesting story. Mm. Um, and we haven't really talked about it much, but you mentioned moving, moving to the country, but you, you're married to a farmer, right? So you, you've had to learn not just about kind of, you know, moving to the country, but also wow. the inner workings of oh. a sheep farm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Tell us your sheep facts, Alex.
1: Oh, hang on. You put me on the spot now. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't prepared for this. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Okay. Most of them are white. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, well, I know that he farms composites, which are partly merino. Merinos are quite flighty, whereas composites will be more relaxed. So you can actually walk up to them in the paddock. Hmm. I know that sheep can have as many as four lambs in one birth which is really really interesting yeah yeah so so if they're fed if they're like well nourished uh, if they get the right supplements so you know that's very important and you know if they're if they're prone to it as apparently lots of sheep are you can have as many as as quads so we had some on the farm this year that had quads oh my god yeah there's there's been like i don't know three thousand lambs on the farm this year (gasps) wow so many And the third sheep fact is that sheep with black feet tend to be bred because they live in particularly damp environments and black feet means they are less likely to get foot rot. So it's better for the sheep. Yeah, very handy in wet climates, like all of Australia this year, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, I just
2: find it hilarious that you're probably sitting in your home office talking to... A CISO or a CEO of a company about cybersecurity and outside your window are some
1: sheep. Well, that was last year. This year, now now that we've bought our house, we're 20 minutes away from the sheep. Um, (laughs) But last year, yes, the sheep were literally just over there at about five (laughs) o'clock whenever like, you know, the working day was drawing to a, well, alleged clothes, um, the sheep would sort of walk up to the fence and just start staring at me. And I always felt like I had an audience for the evening. And that was really quite off-putting. It's interesting to have that sort of duality. That's not his only job. We definitely, we wear a lot of hats in our household. Radio
2: star, potential future author, cybersecurity expert, public speaker. I mean, wow, farmer. <laughs> <laughs> what other titles could you have? Incredible! What a woman!
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm a farmer. At the very best, I'm a farmer's assistant.
0: Well, thank you so much, Alex, for sharing your story and uh, you know everything you continue to learn along the way. You have that growth mindset. You're such a fascinating woman, and we look forward to hearing more from you,
1: Alex. Thank you both so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always great to chat. But yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, and Alex, before you go, how can people listen to your radio show?
1: Ah, um, <laughs> if you want to listen to our radio show, really easy. You can go on ugfm.org and you can listen in online. And we are on Fridays from 4 till 7pm Australian Eastern Time.
0: And I can highly recommend you tune in. It's an awesome show. Yes.
1: And um, if you go on our Instagram, you can request a song. So that's Alex and Ian, and it's Ian, I A I N. And you can request a song. And as I always say on the radio, if we've got it, we'll play it.
0: And I have tested this, by the way. So oh. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you, Alex. Thanks so
0: much, guys. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.